Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Our scripture reading today is from John 21, verses 15 through 22. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. As I said at the start of the service, uh, today we're going to be talking about some weighty things, what is happening in our denomination. And if this is your first time to worship with us, or if you're relatively new to our church, uh, I just want to warn you on the front, this won't be kind of the normal kind of uplifting service we're normally going for. Uh, but I hope, here's what I hope, that you get to see uh, our heart, uh, get a glimpse into who we are and see that we're willing to talk, that we need to talk sometimes about hard things going on in our world and in our church. And I hope you'll come back sometime for a regular uh, Sunday. Um, so, um, yeah, so let me just dive in, I guess, and kind of, uh, let me say a few more words. Uh, we are going through a split in our denomination, and this split is, 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 is kind of centered around the, you know, the flashpoint is same-sex marriage. Now, there's a lot of other factors that are, that are figuring into this. The, the increasing polarization in our country, frustration with the leadership of our conference and our bishops and so on and so forth. But at the center of it is, is the debate around human sexuality and same-sex marriage. I knew this was going to be tough this morning. <laughs> I'm already like, I'm wanting to get my words so right. But here, I'm not going to talk about same-sex marriage this morning. Um, it is a huge, huge topic that involves a lot of complexity and debate. It requires deep thought, deep prayer, deep conversation. 
Um, and we've had classes here over the last year, Pastor Seth and I have offered those to help members of our church, progressive, traditionalist, undecided, gather together to better understand the issue and to better understand one another. And my commitment as a pastor is we're going to keep offering these classes, but I'm not going to preach about same-sex marriage today. Instead, I'm going to speak about our communal life together. How is God calling us to respond to the shifts and the splits and the debates that are swirling around us today? How are we called to respond? And I want to acknowledge up front, you know, I've tried to do this by email and videos, you know, kind of sending out messages, but I haven't done it on a Sunday morning since 2019, partially because I recognize that anytime you jump into one of these topics, there is no way to satisfy everyone. And so here's what I ask. I ask that wherever you might be on the position that you give me a fair and open hearing this morning, that you try to listen to the whole of what I'm saying and not just the part. I may say something that frustrates you or that gives you a question, or I may not say something that you're wanting to hear. That's okay. In your bulletin, there's a a sheet that says notes on one side, questions on the others. And here's what I ask. When something is said that irks you or if something is said that gives you pause and questions, pull out a pen. They're in the pews in front of you. Write that down. And once you write it down, you can set it back and you can kind of re, you know, re-engage with what I'm saying so you can listen to the whole thing, not get stuck halfway through. And following this service, we're going to have a listening session, a place where you can bring your questions and I'll do my best to respond to them. It's going to be down in the chapel about 10 minutes after the service. Everyone is welcome to come to that. If you can't stick around this morning to be part of that listening session, but you have questions that I didn't get to, then you can schedule time to meet with me as a pastor, or you can just email them to me and I'll do my best to, re- to respond. Um, so, Okay, let's just dive in with all, you know, all the preliminaries out of the way. So I just want to help those of you who might be unaware to understand the history and context of this debate within the United Methodist Church. The United Methodist Church is a connectional church. And what we mean by connectional is that we are not congregation. Congregational churches, kind of each congregation gets to set its own policies, its own procedures. A connectional church, we're all bound together. We're bound together in particular by a book called the Book of Discipline. And it looks like that. And the Book of Discipline contains all of our history, all of our doctrine, and all of our order, like how each church is organized. There are rules by which we abide together. And as a connectional church, we share a lot of things. We share pastors, for instance. Pastors are not called and ordained by individual congregations. Rather, pastors are ordained within a conference. Our conference happens to be the whole state of Indiana. You can kind of see how it's divided into different districts. And pastors within that conference agree to itinerate. We, we are not, you know, each congregation doesn't call its own pastor, but rather we move and we serve within the conference wherever the bishop who's over the whole conference appoints us. That makes sense? Okay. And then on top of that, we share pastors. We also share resources. So a tenth of all the funds we receive as a local church, we tithe to the annual conference to support mission and ministry around the state. And then the annual conference does the same thing. Of all the funds it receives, it tithes one-tenth to the general conference, which supports mission and ministry all around the world. 
Now you may be thinking, why does Dave keep saying annual conference? What does that mean? Well, we call it an annual conference because annually delegates from all the United Methodist churches within Indiana, which is a clergy along with a, a, a kind of a corresponding lay member, gather, you know, for a conference in which we vote on the budgets and the policies and the mission things that are happening right here in Indiana. So that happens every June. And then once every four years, we elect delegates from our annual conference. Every annual conference does this around the world. And we send delegates to the general conference, which is the representative body of United Methodists around the world. And the general conference is what we call our legislative body. It is the only group that can amend or change the book of discipline. Does that make sense? So every four years, we get a shot at trying to figure this thing out. And the debate at the General Conference is hot and intense. This issue of same-sex marriage has been discussed at General Conference for 50 years, going back all the way to 1972. 50 years now, we have been debating this as a church. And in that time, we've written and rewritten the Book of Discipline many times. We've added, we've removed, we've changed language. What has not been up for debate, I just want to be really clear about this. What has never been up for debate is the sacred worth of every individual. That we believe all people, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of how they identify, every single one of us is created by God who loves us and we are all crafted in God's image. What has been at debate is whether or not we as a denomination or as a church could perform and bless marriages between two people of the same gender, and whether we could ordain pastors who are living in such a marriage. That's been the core issue of this debate. And what's complicated is not just the many theological issues involved, which there are a lot of theological issues, but there's also cultural issues as well, because the United Methodist Church is a global denomination. And while same-sex marriage has achieved legal status and largely social acceptance here in the United States, that is not the case in many countries around the world where the United Methodist Church is present. And then to add to the complexity, the United Methodist Church is growing internationally, but shrinking domestically here in the United States. And so that's a factor in this as well. So this debate is going on and on and on, but it's really gotten sharper here in our country since 2015 which is the year that the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage within our country. And so since 2015, the pressure has been growing and growing and growing, and progressive uh, voices, pastors, churches, sometimes even whole conferences, have been pressing for the United Methodist Church to change or at least to allow for congregations and pastors to, to exercise their conscience in this direction. And some of them have grown impatient and have moved ahead of the restrictions that are present in the Book of Discipline. They've kind of gone and they've ordained bishops and pastors who are living in same-sex marriages or perform same-sex marriages. And as these, uh, these things continue to happen, the, the, the debate and the conflict gets sharper and sharper, and eventually it was realized compromise is not possible. We're not going to reach a compromise. And so a conference was called in 2019, a special conference. You know, there's every four years, but this was a special one that was kind of outside that four-year pattern. It's called specifically to deal with this one single issue. And it's called the St. Louis Conference because of where it took place. 
And at that time, there was one plan that was brought forward called the one church model, a one church plan that would have allowed individual pastors, congregations to kind of decide their own, uh, you know, decide their own path on this issue. That plan did not pass. Instead, the plan that passed was the traditionalist plan by a 53% vote. And I apologize for the look on that woman's face. It is not a, I, it was the only picture I could find that captured the actual voting you know, margin, 53 to 47, you know, 46.7%. I wanted you to see that voting margin because that's important because it was supported overwhelmingly, almost unanimously by the international church, especially the African church. But, but, but it was not, didn't have that kind of majority support here in the United States. And so after this vote took place, so the traditional plan that was passed reaffirmed marriage as between man and woman, and it strengthened uh, the penalties that would be given to pastors and congregations that ignored this restriction. So the reaction to the traditionalist plan passing was sharp and intense. Traditionalists in our congregation and around the country and around the world kind of rejoiced. We won, we got the vote passed, but the progressives were incensed and, and, and largely hurt. And centrists who really had been behind that compromise plan that allow everyone to make their own decision, centrists were likewise kind of against the hard line of the traditionalist plan. And so suddenly there became this coalition of traditionalists and centrists together. And it, it became clear that 2019 did not, you know, solve this. It didn't fix it. Uh, in fact, it just deepened the divide. And so groups, uh, representatives from each of these groups gathered together and they began working with a negotiator. And they created a plan, which we called the protocol, it says the protocol of reconciliation and grace through separation. And this was a plan, a planned separation for the United Methodist Church that there would be a separate denomination created called the Global Methodist Church, and there would be funds set aside to support the launch of that new denomination. And there would be a process whereby first annual conferences, whole state of Indiana, and then churches, you know, Zion United Methodist Church, and then pastors could all decide which direction you want to affiliate with the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church. That plan was created and it was set to be voted on at the 2020 General Conference, which was supposed to be held in May. Now, we know what happened in 2020. COVID hit and General Conference was postponed. And it was postponed for two years till 2022. It was supposed to take place in August of 2022. And you, you might imagine that two-year period, this coalition that you know, every side had agreed upon, that, that began to fray a little bit as, as some groups started saying, well, maybe we gave away too much. Maybe we need to go back to the negotiating table. But still, it held until in 2022, last April, uh, it was decided that we couldn't have general conference in August. There was too many uh, international delegates who didn't have vaccines, who didn't have visas. They couldn't arrange it and get everyone here in time. And they couldn't have this vote without the international community present. And so they decided to postpone again until April of next year. End of April, beginning of May, next year's when General Conference is gonna take place. And at that time, the Global Methodist Church felt like, you know, we have been waiting since 2020 and, and we can't wait any longer. They decided to move ahead 
to launch the new denomination without that protocol of grace and reconciliation. And so they launched in April of last year when it was announced that the general conference had been delayed. And um, at that point, Methodist churches began voting to disaffiliate from the United Methodist Church under the provisions which were originally part of the traditionalist plan. Now, so what is disaffiliation? Disaffiliation is simply, this is a, from the paragraph of the traditionalist plan, but it's, it's basically a process why, where, uh, whereby a church can, dis, can, can move away, break away from the United Methodist Church from its denomination. And disaffiliation is a long and lengthy process but kind of two things, you know, it requires at a basic, number one, it requires a two-thirds vote of all present membership. Now, this is a key thing, present membership. First off, you have to be a member to have a vote. And secondly, you have to be present. You can't mail it in. You can't do it by proxy. You have to physically be present. And two-thirds of all members present must vote to separate from the I Methodist Church. Beyond that, the church must also make a financial contribution to the conference to sustain its ministry. Two years worth of your tithe, your apportionments, and then also a pension liability to support the retirement of all the pastors who have served in that congregation. For a church of our size, this would be a sizable number. So that's what disaffiliation requires. Well, so as soon as that vote was, you know, or as soon as that process was open, uh, last year about a little over 100 churches here in Indiana disaffiliated from uh, the United Methodist Church. That represents about 10%. We had roughly 1,100 churches, United Methodist Churches in the state of Indiana, and about 100, a little over 100 have now left. So about 10% have left. And there are more churches that are, planning, voting, going through this process in this calendar year. So there's going to be more. And that poses the question that I get on a pretty regular basis, which is when are we going to vote? And the answer is not at this time. Not at this time. We're not required to take a vote. And the vote does require a two-thirds threshold and in my conversations with members of the church, with leaders, with uh, those classes that Seth and I led, we took a straw poll for every class, the 100 or so people who participated in that. And based on those conversations, based on those polls, I don't think we're anywhere near a two-thirds majority that wants to disaffiliate. In fact, my fear is, is having the vote would simply deepen the division in our church and it would hasten the exit of those who, who, you know, on both sides, who may f be frustrated with the process. So we're not going to have the vote at this time. And then that calls up with the second vote. Well, okay, if you're not going to have a vote around disaffiliation, are we going to have a vote to begin performing same-sex marriages as we hear of other congregations are doing? And again, my answer is the same. No, not at this time. Our church and our clergy team are committed to following the book of discipline, which at this time does not allow for same-sex marriage. Now, in 2024, if the book of discipline is changed and amended to allow for a local church to begin to make its own determination around this issue, at that time, we will follow the prescribed process in order to determine where we stand on this issue and if we're going to continue to be part of the United Methodist Church. 
My point is this, at some point, we're going to have a vote, but we're not going to rush into it. We're going to wait and see where the United Methodist Church lands on the issue and what options are available to us within the United Methodist Connection to determine our place on this issue. And in the meantime, we're gonna conduct ourselves with grace, with patience, with peace and love. We're gonna keep our focus on loving God and loving our neighbor, which is what Jesus at a basic level has instructed every single one of us as his followers to do. That's where we are. Now, I have labored uh, carrying the burden of this decision and this process. Uh, this, these are conclusions you don't come to very easily, and I'm so thankful. I'm thankful, first off, for God as my partner, who I pray to constantly for wisdom. I'm thankful for my clergy team, because I talk to them all the time. What do you guys think? Where are we? What do you guys think is best for the church? And I'm thankful for our leadership, our lay leadership of the church, specifically the administrative council. That's our highest level, our board. And we talk about this on a monthly basis. And so at this time, I'm gonna allow you to, if you'll focus on the screens, I have some messages to be shared by two of our leaders, Megan Weddle, who is the chair of our administrative council, and Kyle Weedholder, who is our lay leader. Here's what they have to say. Good morning. My name is Kyle Weedholder, and I am currently serving as the lay leader at Zionsville United Methodist Church. Last year, when Pastor Dave introduced me as the lay leader, we discussed that the United Methodist denomination had a big decision to make concerning the LGBTQ issue. However, we were soon told that the general conference was going to be postponed until May of 2024. During my introduction, I expressed the need to our congregation that we should not feel compelled to make a quick and or radical decision concerning this issue. I also expressed that we need to try to hear and be open to both sides of the issue. Pastor Dave and Pastor Seth had just finished their first class concerning this topic. They both explained the scriptural context used on both sides to support each specific stance. I was part of that first class and really appreciated the information that I learned. I'm not sure whether my overall view changed concerning the topic, but I was much more educated concerning each side's position. The one thing that I appreciated the most was that we had two pastors that were representing their separate understandings and beliefs concerning the topic, but were able to do so in a loving manner and had no animosity towards each other. With this in mind, I would once again ask our congregation to do the following. First and foremost, continue to love one another. If our pastors can present both sides of this topic in a loving and non-threatening manner, we should be able to do the same. Zionsville United Methodist Church is more than a beautiful brick building. It is about the people, its congregation, the friends and family that love one another. Secondly, get educated on both sides of the topic. I'm not asking anyone to change their mind or change their belief. However, I am asking that everyone get a better understanding. As stated earlier, I do not want anyone to make a quick or radical decision without knowing the facts. Lastly, 
I ask that everyone pray for the United Methodist Church, not only ZUMC, but for all the United Methodist Churches, annual conferences, and general conference. I do believe this will become a very divisive decision. However, I pray that God will lay his loving arms over us and that we as a church can continue to love one another. If you would like to talk with me further concerning this issue or any other issue, please call the church office and they can give you my contact information. Blessings. Good morning. I love this church and I love the people in it. I grew up in the Methodist Church and have attended ZUMC for the last 18 years or so. By profession, I am a family law attorney and mediator. Because of my background, I cannot help but see the issues of division in our church as those in a separation. This is hard stuff. If it makes you feel like you have a lump in your throat, you are not alone. We come to church as a practice of our faith. Our belief in God and our desire to have a personal relationship with Jesus is something we share with others in church. It's why we come. We come here because of the people. We come here because of the message on Sunday. We come here for the programs for our children, our youth, and our community. We come here to learn how to best be a disciple of Jesus. We come here because we want to be better and to make a difference in the world. Like many of you, I am involved in small groups. One meets in my house and has for over 11 years. I also am a part of ZSPA, the women's Sunday school class. I have formed relationships with many others that mean the world to me. I sit in my pew surrounded by friends I care about. I know I can depend on my church family to support me when I need it, and I strive to be that person others can turn to. The relationships we have, the missions we are involved in, the efforts we make to be a difference in the world should not change because of these questions in our church. In my job, I problem solve every day. I help others make the best decision they can based on the facts, laws, and guidelines. I am confident that we as a church, with the guidance of Pastor Dave and the other pastors, will be able to do the same when the time comes. Until then, I hope we can take the opportunity to be educated on the issues, to listen with open hearts and ears, to pray for discernment, and most importantly, to continue to do what we are called to do and love God and love our neighbors. Kyle couldn't be here today. He is out of town. Megan is right over there. So, uh, and she'll be with me in the question and answer session right afterwards. But thank you both for your, your witness and your words. Um, let me add just a few things to what they said. First, I just want to acknowledge that this is hard. And it's hard because it's personal. It's very personal. And there are some people here who, uh, some of you may have friends or family members who are gay or lesbian or trans, or one of you may identify yourself in one of those ways. And how do you stay true to yourself? How do you stay true to people you love and stay in a covenant relationship with a traditionalist brother or sister? It's hard. And on the flip side, there are many of you who I know have deep convictions around God's word and about a traditional understanding of marriage that's formed out of your family of origin? And, and, and how do you stay true to those convictions and stay in relationship, a covenant relationship with your brother or sister who reads the Bible differently? It's hard. 
And it gets increasingly hard when we see our, our world pulling apart, when you see churches that have already kind of made a move declaring we're going this direction, we're disaffiliating from the church, or we're going this direction, we're going to perform same-sex marriages. It gets hard to kind of hang in this space that we have, you know, trying to create with each other because it feels like inaction. But I want to be clear, I don't see it as inaction to love someone who disagrees with you. I do not see it as inaction to take the time to understand their viewpoint, even if you don't share it, to understand where they are coming from. That's not inaction. It's not inaction to pray for our church, to pray long and hard about where God is leading us. And it is not inaction to prepare well for a vote of this magnitude. And that is what we are doing. We are taking the time now to prepare in conversation, in prayer, in our spirits to be ready for whenever this thing does come our way. A handful of weeks ago, we had a annual, uh, our um, administrative council meeting. And again, this was the debate. This is the way we almost end every meeting. So we never kind of go out on like a yay raw note. Like this is what we talk about. And as I went forth, I, I had it kind of ringing in my ears, um, the story that Sheila read for us, the story of Jesus and Peter. If you're familiar with the story, the story takes place after the resurrection, after Jesus, or after Peter has denied Jesus three times. So this story is often understood as Peter's restoration to being the rock of the church once more. And Jesus pulls Peter aside for a private conversation and three times he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And three times Peter responds, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And every time Jesus responds with some variation on tend or feed my sheep. And then when he's through with that, Jesus kind of describes you know, what is going to happen to Peter as he follows Jesus. And, and maybe Peter is feeling at this point on the spot because he's been kind of in a pointed way reminded of his failure, his denial of Jesus three times. Or maybe he's feeling put on the spot because Jesus just described, you know, the kind of death he was going to die. But for whatever reason, Peter then turns to someone else and says, hey, what about John? What about the disciple you love? What about him? And when he deflects that attention elsewhere, Jesus brings it back to him and says, what does it matter to you? If he should live until the end of the age, you follow me. You follow me. And so I had this kind of ringing in my ears because I thought, you know, it's so easy right now to get focused on what other churches are doing. You know, that's, that's what happens what about this bishop over there that's doing this? What about this church over there that's doing that? In our own community, we have a church that has disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church, and we have members of our church who are worshiping there and members of that church who are worshiping here. This is going on, but at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're only accountable for ourselves and for this church, how we belong in this space and how we treat one another. I pray for all those other churches. I hope that they are following their conscience and going where God is leading them to the best of their ability, but that is between them and God. 
Me, I am accountable for this church and how I lead you all. And our leaders are responsible for this church and how we discern God's future for us. And you are responsible for yourself and for your family and for this space, how you connect and uphold your relationships you have in this community of faith. We are all called to follow God, to tend his sheep and to be faithful in that way. So let's not worry about all the other things. Let's focus on how are we following Jesus Christ in this space, in this time with one another. Back in 2019, when this all kind of hit, we were in a series on prayer. Do any of you guys remember that? We were talking about prayer. And so I changed that sermon. We were going to talk about amen. That is that word that kind of finishes most of our prayers. And what amen means is I agree. And I recognized in that moment in our church, we don't agree. There's so many things we don't agree about. But I tried to think, well, what are the things that we could agree about together. And in preparation for today, I went back and I read that message and you know what I found? I felt like, hey, these four agreements that we made on that day, they still hold. And I think they can hold us for the next 15 months until the general conference takes place and hopefully even beyond. So I just wanna repeat these four agreements that we made four years ago. The first one is this, that we agree that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we are all saved by his grace. And that includes traditionalists and progressives. It includes straight and gay and trans and however you may identify yourself. All of us are saved by his mercy and his love. We can't even begin to comprehend how deep and wide and high is God's love for each of us. We are saved by his grace. The second agreement I asked you to make is that there is room for faithful disagreement on the topic of same-sex marriage, that we're all reading the same scriptures, but we're each pulling from our own experiences and we're using our own intellect and we can arrive therefore at different conclusions. But it's not fair to say, because you disagree with me, you're unfaithful. Because you disagree with me, you're unloving. Those are bad characterizations that do not build up the body of Christ. On this topic, there is space for us to faithfully and lovingly disagree. Third, I said, we agree that we will not allow our disagreement to turn us against one another, to make us enemies. Our posture towards one another should always be blessing and not curses, meaning that our posture towards one another, that we desire for one another, we work towards good things for everyone, regardless of whether we agree or not, our desire is to bless, not curse one another. And then lastly, we agree that we will love everyone who walks in our church doors, regardless of whose hand they're holding, regardless of their skin color, regardless of appearance or background, regardless of theological or political viewpoints, we love everyone because God loves everyone. And he calls us to extend his love into the world on his behalf. Those were the agreements. And on that day, because we were talking about amen, I asked you, 
to reply, amen, amen, amen. We're gonna do it again, but here's my, before we do it, here's my caveat. Four years have gone by. And if you're not sure right now, sitting here, if you can say amen to one of these four, don't shout it out. This isn't peer pressure. I really hope that if you can't say amen to this, that you'll take these, you know, these agreements and you'll pray on them, reflect on them. You'll figure out what part of you is, is in resistance and you'll be in dialogue with me and with others and your small groups or your friends or your family to, to kind of work through this together because that's how we have to do it as we work through together. But if you feel emboldened that they, yes, I agree, I, I invite you, shout it out. First, I ask you, do you agree that Jesus Christ is Lord and we are all saved by his grace? If so, say amen. Do you agree that there is room for faithful disagreement on the topic of same-sex marriage? If so, say amen. Do you agree that you will not allow your disagreement with others to turn you against them? If so, say amen. Do you agree that we will love everyone who walks in our church doors and beyond? And this one isn't on the screen, but this is what Jesus asked Peter. Do you love Jesus? Then feed his sheep and let us together follow him. And to that we can all say, Amen. Amen.